0: I believe in the United States of America, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and to the Republic, in one holy, catholic, and apostolic church, one nation, one God, I therefore believe, it is my duty to my country to love it,
1: Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart,
0: to support its constitution, stand for the word of God, to obey its laws,
1: It is essential that we obey God's law. A good government protects and provides for the people. As meeting the material needs of the masses through the full power of centralized government. My God shall supply all your needs.
0: Welcome to the show. Would you like to hear a podcast? Hello, and welcome to Our Foundations. My name is Joshua, and I will be your host while we interview another person for some of these aspects we're talking about in Season 2. This time, we are going to go over some things that are from the Catholic perspective. And so, if you would, would you introduce yourself and tell us about who you are and maybe what other projects you're involved with?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Hi, my name is Patrick Nevy. I am a Catholic theologian-slash- uh, minister slash uh, podcaster. A lot of slashes in my in my deal. Um, I studied theology for four years uh, in undergrad, and I now work as a youth pastor, youth minister at a church in Pittsburgh. And I also have a podcast on comedy and spirituality um, called The Crunch Podcast, and it releases every week, and it's aimed towards Catholic young adults. That's
0: me. Okay, well, thank you. That yeah, sounds... You Yeah, that sounds perfect for discussing things from a Catholic perspective. Um, So to begin with, I want you to tell us just a little bit about the church, kind of the lineage of the church, going back to the apostles and how the church views itself as an institution, maybe.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. So, of course, the lineage of the 2,000-year-old organization is a little tough to, you know, nutshell but um yeah so the church essentially sees herself as uh the the first christian church and um the christian church that is united most to what christ had in mind uh, perfectly to what christ had in mind when he said peter on this rock i will build my church um funny enough if you actually ask siri or alexa who started the catholic church they'll both say jesus christ which i always thought was a little yeah funny right um So that's, that's how the the church sees herself. Um, The most important, the most important like nutshell, I guess you could say to how the church sees herself is um, a continuation of Christ's mission uh, on earth. So whereas Christ's mission was corporeal, he was in the body, right? Um, And he ascended into heaven and sent his spirit. The church is physically what Jesus was while on earth. So, um, while Jesus Christ is not bodily present anymore, the church still in her members, like me and you, um, if you're a Christian, I forget if you're a Christian or not. <laughs> I am. I'm not Catholic, but <laughs> okay, cool. No, that no, that's still. Um, even every Christian, right? Uh, this is how the this is. I'll, I'll talk about this later. Every Christian is a part of the um, the bodily mission of Christ and continues that mission until He comes again. So that's how the church sees herself.
0: Okay. And then with that, could you share a little bit about kind of the foundations for Catholic theology as far as the aspects that came up during the Reformation? Things like, like, what is the Eucharist? How did the Catholic Mm -hmm. Church view Mm -hmm. baptism? And then maybe imagery? How did they deal with that or anything else that was kind of a big deal?
1: Gotcha. Yeah. So the I guess there's a little bit of a two-pronged answer to your question. Um, There's like the pillars of Catholic theology, and then there's what was brought up during the Reformation. Um, The pillars of Catholic theology come from Acts 2.42, uh, and they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the community, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Uh, If you look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church, those are the four sections of the Catechism. It talks about the Creed, the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, Talks about how we celebrate that mystery through the seven sacraments. It talks about what we do in response to that mystery of the Trinity. So it talks about um, the Ten Commandments and morality, and then finally it talks about um, individual prayer and how to personally connect with Jesus Christ. Um, in terms of the Reformation, uh, the Catholic understanding of the history of the Reformation is during a, a corrupt period of the Church when the papacy was. Uh, do you know who the Medici family? was oh, or the yeah. borgias oh yeah 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 yep. so all that all that garbage is going on which is an entire podcast in and of itself um and a monk an augustinian monk martin luther um had a specific uh grievances with the the church and certain theologies that some we believe were he was correct in and some we believe he was off the mark um and so if you wanted me to address Luther's Because that's the thing about the Reformation is you have Luther, and then you have like Zwingli, and you have Wesley, and Calvin, and then Henry VIII. You have all of these these Protestant figures that all approached the church differently, and the church kind of had an
0: answer individually for each of them. Um, Yeah. Let's, um, before we do that, I did have another question. So prior to the Reformation, there were other kind of Reformation movements that happened Mm -hmm. with the monastic orders that came up, and they had some different views and some complaints of their own, and wanted to kind of, they ended up kind of segregating themselves, but the church largely brought them into the institutional church, whereas with the Reformation, that was not done. Could you mention kind of what was going on with some of those early monastic splits?
1: Yeah, so I don't I know I know the monastic splits that you're referring to might be the Great
0: Schism of the East. Is that what you're talking about? Um I was thinking more like the when the Dominicans split off and Oh, okay. What was the other big one. I forget the name the of the The Franciscans? Other big one. Yes, yes.
1: Yeah, so those um those actually aren't uh, splits. So the um I went to a Franciscan university and I love St. Bonaventure. Um, So this is a this is a great segue in Uh, the Franciscans and the Dominicans, as well as the Carmelites later, are considered mendicant orders, which means they embraced the three evangelical councils of poverty, chastity and obedience. Um, And these these three ways of living radically imitate the way Christ lived in full obedience to the father in complete poverty and on marriage. Um, but we consider that a positive virtue as opposed to like the lack of something, right? It's like celibacy that shows us how we will live in heaven. Um, those, those monastic orders, which stretch back to the beginning of the church, right? With like, uh, the, with like St. Gregory, all of those things. Um, the way that the church did and handles that now is for those who want to live what is called the, uh, oh my gosh, some call it like the Christian state as in it imitates Christ. For those of one who want to live such a way, they essentially write a rule of life for themselves that's based on scripture. And then they show it to the bishop and say, we want to live this way. And then the bishop says, absolutely, you can go live that way. Um, but they remain connected to the church. So the Dominicans and Franciscans, as well as the Augustinians and all those orders, that those are those are like a subsect of the church that are known as religious orders. So those those weren't splits.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah, I just knew that early on they had some grievances with the church and believed that things should be handled differently and ended up kind of doing their own thing. But technically, they're still a part of the Catholic Church overall, right?
1: So they they did their own thing in one sense, in the sense that they did things differently than the average Catholic. Right. But no, those um, those orders weren't born out of any kind of grievance. Okay. Um, well, actually, I let me let me let me take that back. They they weren't born out of a grievance in the sense of we need to leave the church because the church is bad for us. It was born out of a, this is a spiritual need of the people right now and we want to serve it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Okay. And then was, you mentioned the corruption that was going on. Did that have anything to do with it? Were they seeing popes that were getting rich and the church was bringing out all this money and spending it lavishly. And was that part of that movement towards poverty? Um, No. So most of it is
1: the Dominicans and the Franciscans were both uh, Italian um orders that were started by two italian men in the 1200s it was more of a response to the princes of that era i don't know if you're familiar with machiavelli i'm pretty oh, sure yeah. that book came out the same time that friend that saint francis lived and so this this was kind of a response not to the church but a response to the world um which is always the which is always the attitude of the catholic church which is is, uh, is not, not a response. The church is, n- is really not that focused, or at least shouldn't be on herself. She's more focused on the world because um, the church believes, and all Christians believe this, is that the church that Christ instituted is the new Israel, and then is now given Israel's commandment to be a blessing to all the nations. And so the church sees, members of the church see what's going on in the world, what needs to be changed, and says, hey, let's live in a radical way that um, is sort of like a sign of heaven. So, so Francis takes on this intense poverty and he sets himself as a sign of Christ's life on earth. Um, he was actually given the stigmata, which was um, the wounds of Christ in his own body. He actually had holes in his hands and his feet and bled from them. Um, and a couple of saints throughout history have had that. And he was such a symbol of for living Christ living like Christ radically on earth that he became one of the most influential figures of that time much to his own chagrin he did not want that but so many people followed him um so yeah that that's that's how like those orders started okay um, th- that's why they started yeah
0: yeah, that makes sense um so with the with the corruption I want to get into that a little bit before we get into the reformers what was going on? Could you tell us a little bit about how, I know you mentioned there were multiple Medici popes, there were multiple Borgia mm-hmm. popes, there were uh, relatives of popes that then became popes, there were circuses that were following the papal um, yeah. procession, all kinds of crazy stuff. Could you mention a few of those examples and kind of what was going on and what the atmosphere was? Yeah, so the
1: atmosphere of the Vatican at the time Um, I mean, we, we, we look at things in like a 21st century perspective. So in the 21st century, we're always looking at the top, right? We're always like, what's Donald Trump tweeting about? You know, what's, what's Pope Francis talking about on the plane? You know, that's what we're looking at. Um, in medieval Europe, right? There was kind of, it was kind of a double-edged sword of, of bad, right? It was like a lose-lose situation for the papacy because you have, first of all, um, consolidated political power, which is not something that the church necessarily needs. It's something that the church had, but really shouldn't. Consolidated political power and also the um the the faith of the people, right? So like no one was paying attention to what the Pope was doing. They knew the Pope's name name and they prayed for him, and that's pretty much the only thing the average Catholic did. Um and so it's the same thing that happened in the courts of the kings, right? It's I mean, the only person who opposed Henry the Eighth was thomas more right so um the same thing that happened so like that 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 maybe that's like the atmosphere right this atmosphere of people not looking and the pope kind of being able to do whatever he wanted same with the cardinals same with the the certain priests that lived in rome um and so one of the most infamous uh the thing that's brought up a lot is a sale of indulgences i'm sure you've heard of sale of indulgences oh yeah um there the the pope in order to um complete certain construction projects in rome decided to uh, sell essentially pieces of paper that said, if you pay, if you donate this much money to the church, you will get this reward. Um, simony, obviously definitely wrong. Um, that dates back to literally chapter seven of the acts of the apostles. I think. And can uh, you somewhat. mention what that is? Oh, Simony is named after this guy named Simon who walked up to St. Peter and said, if I will pay you so much money, if you make me a priest and St. Peter said, um, do you think that this is for sale? Like, what do you think we are? God's, God's gifts cannot be given for money. And I think he died. I'm not sure. A lot of times when St. Peter said something to someone, they fell over dead afterwards. Um, yeah, (laughs) he kind of worked like that. Um, so yeah, that, that's, that's where the church was at that time.
0: Okay. So people were buying positions. They were getting them because they were a family. There was all Mm -hmm. kinds of corruption going on. I know at one point, There are associations with brothels and the church, lots of crazy stuff. Um, And so out of this came the ideas of the Reformation. I guess we kind of, this reminds me of empires and governments overall. You mentioned that was going on in the king's courts as well. And Mm. we see this throughout history. You have empires, let's say, that start off kind of small in one location, and they're usually decentralized, have a lot of different, likely city-states is usually the way it happened, and then they start consolidating and centralizing and getting big and expanding, and as they do this, they become more powerful, have more political pull, more influence on everybody, and corruption works its way in, because corruption usually follows power, And then you see kind of the downturn that happens in the effects of that, usually a revolution. And so, yes, that sounds very familiar with what you're describing here with the church is, yeah, it consolidated political power, which it might not necessarily should have had, but that led to some issues. And I've I've mentioned the same thing with government, uh, this idea of kind of the ideal versus reality and ideally the state, which in my parallel that i'm making for this season the modern state is the same as the historic church in many ways and ideally the state is this centralized body that organizes society and protects our freedoms and does all these great things for us and theoretically the more you centralize and get power into the hands of those that can make the best decisions the better things will be but in reality That doesn't always work out that way, and we have a lot of examples of inefficiency and corruption, and the whole system is uh, a little off, to say the Mm -hmm. least, Mm -hmm. and so we see the same with the church, that ideally the church was something that was going to be an example to all peoples, you mentioned to the world. And with that, they were supposed to be the representatives of Christ on earth, they were supposed to live in this holy way, follow this certain life path that was set before them and set up by Jesus and the apostles, but in reality, that's not really how it was playing out at this point in time. So could you talk a little bit about the reformers and kind of what they felt, the problems that they had, and what that whole deal was?
1: Yeah, so you mentioned revolution. I um, One of my favorite classes I ever took in college was on the French Revolution. Um, and you can kind of see back in history, like th- that that little, that huge, like kerfuffle, if you can call it that. Yeah. Um, I, we actually kind of took a look, took a step back and said, wow, yeah, it really did start with the Reformation. Um, so Luther's theology was um, incredibly individualistic. In, in a way that was radically against what the Catholic Church taught and that in that sense like Luther was mistaken on church doctrine considering indulgences right he didn't understand what the church taught fully um and he he rebelled against something that um, he rebelled against essentially a straw man right a lot of his a lot of his theses right were were um, far-fetched and not necessary but one of the most one of the core, one of the core principles that he used, I'll say the two, Um, the two core principles of Protestantism in general is sola scriptura, which means scripture alone, and sola fide, which means faith alone. Um, And sola scriptura is uh, scripture alone compounded on, uh, sorry, expounded into uh, my personal interpretation of scripture alone. Uh, Whoever is saying that it's, you know, scripture alone, my personal interpretation of scripture alone. Uh, faith alone, sola fide, translates to what I believe my faith alone saves me, right? My faith in Jesus Christ saves me. Uh, the Catholic Church has a separate opinion, um, has taught since the apostles something completely different. Um, your faith is not what saves you, is what the church says. Uh, the faith. The faith that you are given in baptism is the faith that saves you. Uh, Faith, faith is not, the church teaches that faith cannot come from within the human person. Faith can only come from Jesus and what Jesus has done. Um, And because Jesus himself mediates faith through the church, the church mediates faith. Um, And baptism is the core, uh, the core wellspring of faith for the Catholic. And side note, um, the church recognizes a lot of Protestant baptisms as valid. And yeah, so that's something that is important. Um, Sacraments work whether um sacraments work if you do them right like that's just how they work because it's christ who acts not the person and so even if someone is saying i want to be baptized into the methodist church we don't believe that that has any credence into like that doesn't have any they don't have any say in what jesus does to the sacrament he said if you do if you baptize in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit with water that is baptism right that's what the church says so Methodist baptism is valid for instance. Um, and we believe that they are, that any baptized person is a member of the church regardless. And so we see the Protestants as a sep- as like a, it's like concentric circles, like the center of circle is full communion. And then the outside circle is where, where Protestants, where Protestants say it in terms of our theology, because we believe that your faith doesn't separate you from the church. The faith of the church is what you have. And so there you go. Um, Sola Scriptura, the other, the other prong of, um, of Luther is this idea of individual interpretation of scripture. Um, This has some, this has an issue. The Catholic church has an issue with this and the Catholic church also agrees with Luther in some sense. Uh, Luther, the famous like Gutenberg Bible, right? Like translating scripture into German and releasing it. Um the common the common conception seems to be that Luther translated the first non-Latin Bible. Uh, that's not the case. The Bible was just not widely available to illiterate peasants um which, you know, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. And so the only times that pe- the peasantry would hear scripture was at mass. Um and so this is why the church this is why the church said like only the priests have education in scripture. Like they are the ones that have gone to seminaries and studied. So they are the ones that have the permission of the church to teach from scripture. Um, now in the future, this changes right now. Education is, you know, what more widespread part and parcel. Thanks to the Catholic church. Universal education was started by the Catholic church, the Jesuits specifically. Um, education is so widespread. People can study scripture on their own personal scriptural study is something that's been encouraged since the early church fathers. The problem with Luther was that he believed that only scripture, scripture was the only place where we could find truth about God from. And that's just simply, uh, that just simply doesn't make sense because the Bible as it stands now, most of the books weren't written until AD 70. I think the, the last one, 80, 90, um, the year 90 AD. It right. sounds like I'm saying 80. Um, so it, and then the canon of scripture wasn't fully compiled until the 300s. And so these Christians for the first, I don't know, 300 years of, of Christianity are reading from books that aren't necessarily scripture, right? What they're reading from is church tradition. The early years of the church, the the apostles, the disciples of the apostles, right? Um, we accept and, and venerate the wisdom of these men because they knew the people that knew Christ so well Uh, for the medievals scripture and tradition was the bible and the church fathers the bible and the early church fathers Uh, these councils that said no Jesus Christ wasn't only a man he was God that's not explicit in scripture but through prayer and through scriptural study and through the apostles teachings we know that this is where this is that, that Jesus Christ is true God and true man. So these two prongs of Luther's theology, Sola Scriptura and Sola Fide are the two things that the church held issue with the most. The other five, the other three of the five Solas, no problem. Jesus Christ alone, grace alone. Fine. Yeah, true. But scripture, Sola Scriptura doesn't make sense based on the tradition, based on the history of the church. And Sola Fide doesn't make sense because we cannot be the source of our own salvation.
0: Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So, with that, it does remind me of some other parallels with the state. It's this idea that basically people can't govern themselves and organize. So, with that, that's where the reformers were coming from. They had these different opinions and different views that were much more individualistic, that they believed they could do these things on their own, such as interpretation and having faith. Um, that is a direct parallel, I believe, with the modern state and the modern role of government. The idea is that people can't govern themselves, people can't organize themselves safely, and they can't do this in a way that is maybe good for all of society. They're just going to be selfish And so that's similar to the church, saying that people can't interpret these things on their own, they're in a sense not good enough or not educated enough, or they just don't have the ability, whatever the reason, they just need a little more. They need some help from someone that's actually been educated and taught and has tradition to fall back on and these types of things. Similar to the modern state, saying that you need this institution in charge of society to make sure that you have the right laws, you have the right systems in place, you're not going to be able to do this on your own. And so that definitely makes sense. You have the idea of positive law, for example, where a law is a law because the state creates the law, and anything the state says is law should be law of the land. Just like um, the same idea with the church, that interpretation of scripture is true and is the right interpretation because the church says so, and they have reasons for why they say so. They're not just coming yeah. out of thin air. But yeah. that's what they say. It's, it's this positive view on interpretation that it is this way because we say it is this way and we are the ones who would know. Versus, I guess, on the government side, you can have the Enlightenment view that's much more individualistic and that there is natural law, that there are these laws that are natural to the human condition despite what any government says. And that's a lot more individualistic and people have different interpretations of what those natural laws might entail. And that's, I guess, similar here to the Reformers, where they say, there is this interpretation, I have the scripture right here, I can read it, and this is what it means, no matter what the church says. And so we see some definite yeah. parallels going on there. But what I want you to highlight specifically is how, I guess, how did the church view this role of mediating for the individual. I I know you said that the priests were very well educated, and they believed that the common laity was not, although they did encourage Mm -hmm. they read the Bible, but not really necessarily interpret what they were reading outside of what the church said the correct interpretation was. So could you talk a little bit about some of the problems or potential pitfalls with someone directly interpreting scripture for themselves and having this individualistic view where they are going to do what they think is right. And the church is saying, well, there are some possible issues with that. Can you talk about what those issues might be?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd like to start with a quote from To Kill a Mockingbird, a uh, really okay. great book. Um, the Bible in the hands of some men is worse than a whiskey bottle in others. Yes. Um It's just this personal interpretation is where we get some violations of natural law, right? For instance, the, um, the interpretation of Ephesians five. So Ephesians five says to men and women, um, be subject to one another in Christ, uh, says to men and women, first of all, be subject to one another as in a man, as husband or wife, be subject to one another. And then says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord, as is acceptable and then says, "Husbands, lay your lives down for your wives." Now here we have three verses, right? We have, "Hey, you guys both got to be nice to each other." Hey, wives, you have to submit to your husbands. Hey, husbands, you have to die for your wives. But if you if you like cross out the top part and the bottom part, and you're just like, "Wives, submit to your husbands," now you have in, now you have a pattern of sexism and um, mis- misogyny in the church, right? And we've seen this happen in yep. in some conservative Christian circles. That goes down, so. This is why, this is why scriptural interpretation for the individual is not necessarily dangerous. That's actually not the point. It's that, um, scriptural interpretation on the individual level by someone in power ends up having a problem, right? So it's not, it's not that the church says, Hey, these, this is what scripture means to control the laity. It says, Hey, here's what scripture means to control the priests, who are in charge of guarding and shepherding souls to heaven, right? Because it is true that the the human soul can't save itself, right? Any, any Christian will tell you that there's no way for the human soul to get from sin to salvation without some form of divine intervention. Right. Similarly, the human society, especially 300 million people, they can't organize themselves without some form of state. Right. Um, Now, they can't, the, the soul can't, or the soul can't save itself. The person can't organize himself, right? The, the person can't both be a firefighter and a police officer and a doctor all in one. Um, so then, right, there needs to be a church. There needs to be a state. Now, in the, in the analogy of the, of, of the church, it goes like the soul can't save itself. So God institutes a church in the in the analogy of the state, it's the person can't organize himself, so blank organizes a state. In some instances it's a king, a dictator, etc. In this analogy it's the person can't organize himself, so the people organizes a state, and that's like the American Democratic Republic yeah. model. And I think that works best. Um, in both instances, even even the most even the most libertarian view of government, there's always going to be a mediation why because of those with power who tend to corrupt it's like we we like to focus on we like to focus on the presidents and the popes that are corrupt but in general you know there's a lot of priests who are corrupt too there's a lot of governors and mayors and freaking comptrollers who are corrupt right it's it's the it's the the little the little power the little power i forget what television show this is from but it was i've never seen oh i think it's from the office when um when dwight when dwight gets to pick the new health insurance plan for everyone jim goes wow i've never seen so little power go to someone's head so quickly (laughs) um that's that's what this is right like so this this priest right has this flock of 30 souls in his hometown that's how it used to work right you would send a priest off to seminary he would come back to your town you knew who he was but now he's the parish priest they'd be educated but they'd also be poor But let's say he wants to be richer, right? He starts preaching heavily on tithing. He preaches heavily on financial giving to try and rein like money in and says, if you give tenfold, will be given to you, right? He's like a, he's like a medieval Joel Osteen. He's like, if you give $1, you'll get 10 back. So give me a thousand dollars, you'll get 10,000, right? Or whatever they use in England. That's corrupted. That's corruption, right? That's individual interpretation used to oppress the people because that's not the church's interpretation. Now the Catholic church does not give a sign one interpretation to every letter of scripture. Um, there's four senses of scripture. I'm not getting into, into them now, but St. Bonaventure goes off on those. He said, it's like an infinite, it's an infinite ocean. It's a divine wellspring. It's constantly bubbling up. Okay. There's so much in scripture. So there's not like, it doesn't get pigeonholed. Like, Oh, this is what the word temple means. It's symbol. It symbolizes Christ. Well, yes it does, but it also symbolizes the human body, right? Or, or the new Israel, et cetera. So, The church, the church does give multiple interpretations and there are many different interpretations of scripture that appear to conflict, but actually like 3D got 3D glasses. They kind of work together, you know, it's like red and blue conflict, but they work together. It gives you the whole picture, you know? Um, so yeah, I would, so I, in, in response, I would say that it's not, the church doesn't restrict scriptural interpretation because the laity are stupid. It's because they, the laity needs to know how to test right like um, like Jesus says there's there's going to be false prophets right you need to know how to discern spirits you need to know what the truth is so when come someone comes up to you and says hey if you give me ten dollars God will give you a hundred you know you can say hey that's bull yeah right so it's more for a protection of the, of the on mass than a controlling of them
0: okay yeah that makes sense so I guess the the reformers argument would be that we have the Holy Spirit and we have scripture, and between the two we can figure it out for ourselves, whereas the church says that's a little dangerous. It would definitely be best if you could rely on tradition and those of us that are fully educated and know what we're talking about and have a lot to back that up, and we can kind of help you and guide you. Would that be the idea? And I would say I would add to educated because
1: knowledge only gets you so far. Knowledge is only one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's also wisdom and understanding, you know? Yes. Um, I would say that Like not only is the church more studied, I mean the church as a whole is 2000 years old. It is the oldest organization that still exists today. Um, There's nothing older, right? Like Israel is gone as it's, you know, you know, the old Israel is gone, et cetera. Yeah. Um, It's the oldest person, right? in, in, In existence. And so like, that's a wise group of people. Of course, not everyone who is a member of the hierarchy of the church speaks for the entire church, but when the entire church speaks, you should listen. Um So it says like, yeah, the reformers say we got the Holy spirit. We got the Bible. We're good. But the church in response says, no, if you do that alone, you're not going to be able to discern the spirit correctly. Right? Like you, you there's no guarantee that you are going to, that you aren't going to be le- misled. There's no guarantee you won't be misled, but Jesus did say the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, right? I will on this Matthew 18, 18, you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said that about the church, not about us, which means we can fail. The gates of hell prevail against us all the time. I sinned like earlier today, you know, (laughs) it's like it happens. Um, And I, I think that the reformers, they didn't see even Luther himself should have seen the fruits of his, of his, of his crusade pardon the pun, in yeah. within the, his time because he didn't want to separate from the church, but that ended up happening and more people ended up following him separating from the church, but not on his terms, on their own, you know? And now we have, before before the Reformation, right, we had a Catholic church. We had a Christian church in Europe and there were some other, there were some other churches and like individual groups that schismed and left, but those were more because of like empires falling than anything else. But now we have 35,000 Christian denominations. When even a cursory glance at John 17 would, you would be able to see, Hey, Jesus said they should all be one as me and the father are one. That was the last thing he prayed before he died. And so Luther should have seen where this, where this Holy spirit and me, idea gets you, it gets you to a lot of conflicting ideas to the point where there's not even one Lutheran tradition anymore. There's like a bajillion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've um, made a comparison between religion then and politics now. And you mentioned libertarian philosophy and people interpreting and going a little Mm -hmm. wild with that. Uh, My parallel there would be the Anabaptists, where you had the Reformers, ah. the Protestants, and the Catholics, kind of like the left and the right politically, and they they both have different views on how the state should be ran and how money should be allocated, but overall, we should still have the state, it should still have a lot of power, it should still be doing these certain things, and yeah. then you have the crazy libertarians that are like, no, no, we, need, we don't need to have the state at all, or it needs to be extremely <laughs> small, and yeah. um, everybody needs to do things on their own, very individualistically, And that was the idea of the Anabaptists. They went back to scripture and said, let's just wipe out all tradition, what everybody thinks, what everybody says. We're just going to read the Bible and do what it says, Uh, you know, obviously according to their own interpretation. And they went a little crazy with it, and they definitely separated themselves out, and they didn't want a part of an institutional church at all, whereas the Reformers and the Catholics both wanted an institutional church. They just had different opinions on how to direct that.
1: And this squabbling over an institutional church, I mean, it kind of ends, it's kind of going the same way with the two party system, right? You have a bunch of people that are like, you know what? I don't, I don't care. I'm just going to pick none of the above and I'm just <laughs> not going to vote or I'm just not going to be involved in whatever's going on because this is too confusing. You people are making me crazy. I just want to, I just want to, like, you know, be involved. Theologians don't understand this is that the average person does not care about the nuances and nitpicking of theology. They just want a prayer life, you know? Yeah. The average person comes up to me at church and says, Hey, can I, I just want to know how to pray. I want to know what I need to know the basics and I want to know how to pray. Right. And so, but like, you know, theologians argue over whether, you know, the word in Genesis two meant he will strike at your heel or she will strike at your heel, <laughs> etc. Um, that's an actual argument. So, similarly right politicians don't realize the average american does not care not doesn't care but like is not paying attention you know um and rightfully so they shouldn't have to like you know watch every single c-span broadcast because then you would just go crazy and they i i I take that back they know that you're not paying attention and so they (laughs) take advantage of that um they purposefully do things that you'll pay attention to other things so they can do things yeah, um, look, impeachment while we send thousands of
0: troops overseas and renew the Patriot right? Act and everything. What else. is going on? An <laughs> <laughs> exactly. impeachment that we know will not come to fruition and we can guarantee will never happen. But but look, it's very important.
1: But look, it's how ha- it's happening. It's going yeah. on. Yeah, and this is why this is why um this is why Twitter will be the death of of the de- Democratic Republic in America. <laughs> but anyway. Um yeah, so I think I think we but the, the, the political system in America still wants you to pick a side. It's very obvious because every the the, 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 the uh, dialogue in twenty sixteen when people were like, I don't really want to vote for Hillary or Trump, the their argument was both both the Democrats and Republicans said if you don't vote for our person, then you're voting for the other person. And so they're saying you gotta pick a side or you're basically, you know, mortally sinning in terms of the state, which I think I think that, um, we, the, uh, the post-Christian, I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this line out there and then we can talk about it later. If you don't want to talk about it now, post-Christian, uh, the post-Christian West does not worship God anymore. And when you don't worship God, you worship the state. And so that's why people outcry and set and call and cancel and call people heretics. It's canceling someone on Twitter is basically like burning heretics. Yes. Today, you know, and and this this is because we worship the state. And so that's why there was no greater sin than voting for a third party candidate to let Trump win or vice versa with Hillary, right? There was no greater sin than allowing someone who's not on our red team or blue team to win. And that's, I think, I think the third party, the two party system kind of perpetuates that and they need to understand that this is not how our political opinions work now. There's so many different ones that we need some kind of like multi-party. I don't know. I'm not a a political science boy. I'm a (laughs) theology
0: boy. (laughs) Fair enough. Well, one of the things that I know the church did kind of in response to these problems and these potential pitfalls was that they controlled the media of their day. They kind of controlled the narrative and the discussion. They would censor certain writings and certain ideas and so they kind of played this mediation role between yes. the people and these dangerous ideas that were floating around that were heretical. And we see that today, you mentioned getting canceled on Twitter. It's that same kind of witch hunt, inquisition mentality of let's censor these crazy ideas. And if someone mm-hmm. is a conspiracy theorist, they need to be silenced. It's very dangerous. It's going to create terrorists and yeah. all this stuff. And so we we see that the state trying to play that same a mediator's role but um i guess what would your opinion be on how well the state does that or what the effect might be versus the historic church and how they handled that so this this is now we we've talked about corruption at the top we've talked about corruption
1: in the middle and this is now corruption actually in the rank and file or just in the public um the the Salem witch trials, right? You have these massive ordeals and mob lynchings of women. Same within the civil rights movements, you had lynchings. And these are when people get caught up in the mob and they attack, right? When we talk about the Inquisition, when we talk about the, um, the scrutinies of books, in a sense, we are talking about like the church would say, Hey, this book is not good for your soul, which exists, right? The church said that about the prince, Machiavelli's the prince. Yeah, I get it. That makes sense. Um, uh, the, the thing with Galileo that, um, that actually is like very historically misunderstood. Um, the church, I, I gotta say this because it's like one of my biggest pet peeves. <laughs> Go for it. Um, the, the Catholic church never taught that the sun was the center of uh, that the earth was the center of the universe. Um, that was never like an official church teaching because the church can't teach that the Catholic church can only teach on faith and morals and astronomy is not one of those two things. No. Um, but because the church was the church knew what you know was correct is that because it was such a wide held widely held theological belief and opinion right um literarily speaking dante put the earth at the center of the universe um because it was such a wide widely held opinion the church knew what would happen if people all of a sudden said wait a second you're saying that the church that the that the earth is not the center of the universe you're saying that we're not important which means god doesn't exist so we're going to kill you right it's like that that kind of anger and and so that's why they put galileo under protection um history remembers that as as house arrest uh <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> historiography is uh is is tough but um but yeah so now now we're kind of talking about like i would say that i would say that censorship is something that happens at the top and at the bottom rarely does it happen in the middle of power right um censorship happens at the top when like north korea doesn't want you to get any information or when um when america and nazi germany are publishing propaganda to make you want to fight right but propaganda only works if people are bought in you know and so it's actually the the individual person's responsibility to not let propaganda hit them right and um, the inquisitions and these things were done by individual groups of people, right? Like there was no official uh, department of the Vatican that was sending people out to burn heretics, you yeah. know? Because that's like expressly against one of the Big Ten. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but yeah, so so I think I think if you want to compare, uh, if we I guess I we totally could because I did, um, compare canceling on Twitter to burning heretics at the stake or Salem witch trials or um, the civil rights movement lynchings. Um, It would definitely be a sin of the people more so than the top or the middle of power.
0: Well, I'm going to go ahead and end this section of the interview here and we'll pick up next time for the second half of this interview as we get into a few other aspects from a more Catholic perspective. And with that, I want to say thank you for all of your support of all kinds. Thank you very much for listening. Please see the show notes if you want to find a link for the email address or the website or the Twitter handle or the Patreon page or anything else that might be there. I guess if you want to find out more about patrick and listen to more of his content and see where you can get in touch with him i will have that in the show notes as well so please check that out and with that i guess i'm out peace this has been another episode of our foundation's podcast thank you for listening goodbye yeah thank you goodbye